So this Mother's Day, we know it's, it's not a church holiday, but it's something that we all resonate with. I mean, we all came from a mother at some point. But Mother's Day is a mixed bag. It's easy to forget those who have lost someone, those who never had someone, for the sake of all the abundance that we do have. So I just want to call your corporate attention to the both and of today. It's both joyful and sad. And so be tender with one another today. It is very good to show your mom that you appreciate them. I know that I appreciate that. And those little handmade pictures and family lunches and those words of encouragement will fuel us for at least a little while. And help remind moms that our labor for the Lord is not in vain. How we care for our children is good, godly work. But like I said, it's very likely each of us knows some pain on this day. We carry with us the scars of infertility. That's my own story. Or of miscarriage, the infant loss. Many of you here have buried babies. Many of you have mourned the loss of your mother or your grandmother or your wife. And so these memories stir around in us today. And it's, it's a day that Jesus can, can know so much about because Jesus knows what it's like to lose a friend. Jesus knows what it's like to lose someone who said they would be there for him and to have them turn their back. Jesus had faith and hope in the Father's plan, and for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, but that didn't make the suffering any easier. So Jesus knows what it's like to desperately wish for a different way, a different plan, a way out of the suffering. And our scriptures this morning, I'm so thankful for the lectionary and the way that the Spirit planned these passages because they're tender and they're comforting and they are an invitation to us to remember or perhaps learn for the first time that following Jesus is both a personal decision and a communal decision, a communal relationship. So we read together this well-known Psalm 23, perhaps arguably one of the most well-known passages of Scripture. And do you know that no other psalm is so personal? No other of the 150 psalms does the psalmist say, my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He knows what it's like to be known by God and to know God. He restores my soul. He leads me. His rod and staff comfort me. He anoints me. He fills my cup to overflowing. 
I loved the question that one of the commentators wrote, reflecting on this personal, intimate relationship between God, our shepherd, and us. He says, what are you and God up to these days? Where is God leading you? How is he anointing you? What is he commissioning you to do? Anointing is typically for someone ordained, being ordained, or coronated as king or queen. So how is God anointing you for a task? What is he inviting you to join him in? And yet, as we get to the end of Psalm 23, there's this line. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And right after that it says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So there's this paradox here where we're being chased, followed by mercy and goodness. And yet we're dwelling, we're steadfast, we're rooted in the safety of God's house. So how can we be pursued running around all the days of my life and and yet also dwelling in one place, in the house of the Lord? How can they both be true? I imagined uh, a child playing a rambunctious game of tag, or you know when mom or dad pretends to be the tickle monster, I'm going to get you, and the kid is like screaming and running around. That kind of a chase where goodness and mercy are just like, I, I'm coming for you. It's a loving, but they know they're loved and safe. They know if they turn around, you'll just scoop them up in your arms and pick them up and hug them. But let's take this chasing, the personified goodness of God and the personified mercy of God to another level. What if the mercy and goodness of God, which follow us all the days of our life, follow us in the form of the church? The Christian community in which God has lovingly planted us. At the same time as we are experiencing the very personal nature of God, our shepherd, We also live in community with others. No shepherd has just one sheep, right? No sheep lives in solitude, but in community. The assumption of the psalmist is that there's an intimate knowledge of each of the sheep, and that the sheep enjoy the care of the shepherd together. So my friends, we need each other. We need each other. And on days like today, when the joy and the pain swirl up inside of us and kind of churn and can make our stomach sick and confused, let us live the Christian life in community with one another. I'd like to take a cue from the church in Joppa. So Elizabeth read for us Acts chapter 9 where this church, instead of withdrawing from each other, closing their doors and mourning that their dear sister Tabitha had died, they press in. They fill the room. Yes, Peter performs a miracle. That's awesome. (laughs) Yes, Tabitha is raised from the dead. Also awesome. 
But one commentator pointed out that they think the real gem of this passage is the healing community that surrounds this woman, that Tabitha was a part of. This woman had been living in a loving and faithful friendship with her church in Joppa. When she was sick, her her people surrounded her with the same support she had been offering to them. They were with her when she died. They washed her body and they laid her in a room upstairs. They heard Peter was in the area, and so they said, you, you, go get Peter and bring him here. He knows what to do. And all the while, they were shedding communal tears. They told happy stories. They probably laughed through the tears at how wonderful their friend Tabitha was, their leader, Tabitha. Side note, Tabitha is the only person in the, in the New Testament, a disciple, referred to with the female version of the word disciple. So, women in ministry, side note. (laughs) They told together everyone that would listen of what God had done in their friends Tabitha's life. They didn't keep it to themselves. Reverend Stephen Jones writes, the congregation at Joppa was vulnerable And yet, listen to this, they were unafraid to wade into each other's lives in transforming ways. We live in a context, a very privatized uh, country. There are a lot of other countries around the world where generations live together, everyone does life and work together. But in America, we pull into our driveways, we close the garage door, we walk into our houses, we do our laundry in our own homes, we do everything behind closed doors. And we might not ever tell our neighbor when our friend has died. We might not ever tell our neighbor when we've had a miscarriage. We might not ever tell our neighbor when we're thrilled to find out the good news about XYZ. And we're short-sighting the work of God if we're not living in community with one another. So what if our willingness to wade into each other's lives in transforming ways, to wade in like you're wading in the water, to just take a step in and you're like, I'm coming out for you. I'm coming out for you. In transforming ways, what if this is how we encounter the goodness and mercy of our shepherd Jesus until we can be fully present with him in the house of the Lord forever? Amen. (laughs) So I want to urge you to keep doing what you're already doing because I see this happening. I have seen more transformational caring for one another in the last couple of months than perhaps in most churches I've been a part of because when we send out a prayer request now, people are actually following up on those. People are asking me, how did that go? Rena asked me this morning, how did it go on Friday? 
Robin texted me, I'm praying for you. Joni texted me, Mel, I'm praying for you. God has a gift for you. You've got to use this. I'm praying God would heal you. Those things are bolstering. That's how we care for one another. It's not just a prayer request out into the void of the universe. It's something, a way to be together when we're not physically together. To check in on one another. To say, hey, that thing you said a couple weeks ago, I've been thinking about that. That's the mercy of God. That's the love of our shepherd. When my, my friend Carol died, I called Rachel and I said, Sister Carol died and she like dropped, we had been together the whole day and she's like, I'm coming over and she got my, I couldn't stop crying. She said, I'm gonna help you, I bathed. She bathed the girls, got them ready for bed because I couldn't do anything. I called Anna Marie and Anna Marie said, I'll come over. I said, it's okay, Rachel's already here. Care for one another in that way. When someone says they're sick, I remember Renee showed up at my door with chicken noodle soup one time. I was, I was like, yeah, I don't feel very well. Two hours later, she had chicken soup for me. Let's care for each other like that. That's the mercy and love of our shepherd. So let's wade into each other's lives in transforming ways. Because the love of Jesus offers us friendship and laughter. The love of Jesus offers us solidarity in tears. It's kind and gentle and strong and loyal and steadfast. So let's love one another as our good shepherd first loved us.